Thank you. Maybe seated. Thank you, Ryan, for leading us to the throne. What wonderful worship it was this morning. And what joy it is to be able to share with you my heart about what I believe the Lord teaches us about worship, how God uh, orchestrates that. So we're in the middle of a series called Worship the King. It's based on John, the fourth chapter. You don't need to turn there. You're familiar with that scripture anyhow, probably. Uh, and if you're not, you need to go home and read it this afternoon. But it's, it's a wonderful passage of scripture where... Uh, Jesus confronts the woman who's come to the well, the Samaritan woman, who uh, Jews are not even supposed to be talking to anyhow. And as she's beginning, as she's beginning to ask for water, he begins to describe her life to her. And when she begins to have the light bulb go off in her head and realize who Jesus is, he, she begins to talk to him about worship. And then Jesus begins to explain to her about what worship is going to become. And he mentions, uh, and we don't think of this often, but he mentions at the, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he mentions worship eight different times, how there's a day coming when you will worship in spirit and truth, and there's a day coming when you will realize that I am the one that is worthy of your worship. And it's a beautiful passage, helps us understand what we are to be about when we worship. Understanding that, I want us to look at Ecclesiastes, uh, the fifth chapter. So if you have your Bible, go to Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at this beautiful Old Testament book that Solomon uh, filled with all his splendor, with his wisdom. Uh, most of you know, uh, if you don't, Solomon was very, very wealthy, uh, a wealthy king. Uh, and he uh, was an incredible man of God uh, who uh, was filled with great wisdom. And he begins to explain to us in Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, what it means to worship, how we can worship. In fact, Solomon had had a hand in building the temple. Uh, he had uh, helped with the plans. He'd helped with the finances. And now he's going back to check on it. He's checked on different things that Solomon has had uh, taken place within his kingdom. He uh, checked on businesses, he's checked on different things within the kingdom, and now he wants to go check on the temple and how they're worshiping. And as he goes to check on the temple and how they're worshiping, he becomes disappointed in how some of them are approaching worship. And this is where we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes 5. <clears throat> You'll allow me to share with you just very brief, briefly the understanding of what the word worship means. Worship, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to refresh your memory, refresh my memory too, that worship means that we are here to give to God, not to get. I love what Ryan just led us in singing. In fact, I think it was in a couple of the worship songs that we just sang. But we're here to give an offering to God. We're here to give today to God. And sure, it can be financial. That's part of what you're doing when you worship. In fact, it's, it's a an important part of worship. That's why when we call the ushers down and Ryan prays over the offering like he does or when we have somebody else who prays over the offering, we're praying over that aspect of worship. It's a worship act. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I struggle sometimes, and you'll bear with me for this struggle uh, in, in, in how churches are changing, but a lot of churches are changing in the fact that they say, oh, just give your offering out in some box somewhere in the middle of nowhere or mail it in and, and even uh, send in your tithe 
which I do, so I'm, I'm not nailing uh, uh, the future. I'm not, I'm not nailing the fact that we can do things better, but I, I send our tithe in. You can ask Abby. I, I send our tithe in electronically. But it's important for you to know that in the midst of that offering, we pray over that. It's not just a thing that we click a button, there goes our money to the church, but it's something that we take very seriously as an act of our worship because it is a part of our worship to give that offering to God. And so when you come this morning, you're not only coming to give of your voice, you're not only coming to give of your tithe and your offerings, but you're coming to give of your heart, your mind, your soul. That's the offering that we come to give to God today. That's, that's what we bring Him. I, I, the, the song overwhelms me when we sing those words because there's not much more truth that's ever been written, but it's His breath in your lungs that allows you to be here this morning, and that's why you come and give Him worship. The Greek word is proskuneo. I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. It means to literally bow down before the king and kiss his ring. It, you, that's where we get our word prostrate from. We, we, we come down and, and we, we bow down before the king of kings and the lord of lords uh, in, in such a, a, an act of reverence, in such an act of giving to God what he's deserving of, which is our worship. Um, when, when the word advanced and, and English language began, the old English began the word which we call worship today. But do you know in the old English, they called it worth-ship. And that's where we get the word worship from. It's just a kind of an abbreviation of what the real understanding is but that we come today to give God what he is worth. We come today to worship a God who is worth our worship. Now, when, whenever you define something, it, it's always helpful to know what it's not about, too. And I, I won't go into this a lot this morning, but I, I do want you to hear me when I say this this morning. You didn't come here to grade Ryan this morning on whether you thought he did a good job or not. Uh, you didn't come here to grade the musicians and say, well, they were okay, but I've been to a better place before where they play better and they play stronger. I can promise you this. You can go to a place to worship next week that will be better than what they do here. Okay? I can promise you that. You, you can find it somewhere. But I can promise you this, too. You can go to a place that's a lot worse than what we have here too, okay? You didn't come here to grade what we do on the stage. You didn't come here to grade me. I know a lot of you would like to do that. You know, you would say, well, today was kind of a B for Bobby. You know, it wasn't that great. You know, he probably studied some, but Laura probably distracted him during the week. And you know, and you know, that's probably true, all that. But you didn't come to do that. And I can give you the same spiel that I just gave about Ryan. You can go and you can find people that are far better than me that will give the word and give the message far better than I will. But I can promise you, you can find somebody that won't do as good as me either. But that's not the point. You didn't come here this morning. My prayer is, my hope is, 
my heart is that you didn't come here to grade me or to grade Ryan or to grade anything that we do here this morning because you came not to see me, praise God, not to see Ryan, praise God, not to hear these musicians, praise God, but you came here because God is here. The almighty God is here and he is worthy of our praise. And he is the one who you come to bow down before. Not me, not Ryan, not anybody else. This morning, we come here to meet the Almighty God. So how? How do we prepare ourselves? That's what I want to share with you this morning. How do we, as believers who love our God, love our King, and want so desperately to worship Him, how do we prepare ourselves to worship God? Let's look at Ecclesiastes. Solomon speaks here and he says, I love this. The passage, you know, sometimes, I don't know if your Bible does this. I'm, I'm in the NIV this morning. But the passage uh, that starts here, the, the little catchphrase that's above it that explains what this passage is about to be about, in my Bible says, stand in awe of God. Man, I, I love that. Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather to, than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools, so fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God... Be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. <laughs> if you don't get much else out of that passage, you probably got the point that you're supposed to keep your mouth shut most of the time. And that's, that's really the understanding that's almost going on here. You know, it, it's that understanding of you're, you're, we're going to come into the house of God. And if we're going to come into the house of God, it's a whole lot better for us to listen than it is to tell God what we want. So let me share with you four or five things real briefly. Bear with me. Hang on. We're going to fly through this, but we're going to have some fun this morning as we talk about how do we worship God. The first thing we must do, which it tells us in, in verse 1, Solomon puts it so simply. He says, we must get ready to meet him. We've got to get ready. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's you and me saying, and, and the Lord speaking to us through Solomon, saying that we have to get ready. There, there's a preparation that must take place for us to walk into the house of God. He says it this way, guard your steps, enter with reverence and respect. You are coming into holy ground. Did you know that? This carpet may be man-made, but this is holy ground. We're, we're standing, we're sitting uh, we're we're uh, looking today at God from the prospect and the and perspective of being on holy ground. I, I know that men built this auditorium. I know that men built this worship center. 
But I also know that men dedicated this to God. This is not built to live in. This is not built to host parties and, and cantatas and all those other kinds of things. You can do that here. But this was built so that we could worship our God. And so when we walk in here on Sunday morning, we are standing on holy ground. Now, some of you would know this because you, you hang around college students enough to know this, and, and you've been around college students when they worship enough to see them do this. But one of the, the aspects that I really love about college students, and I'm not sure why they do it, uh, but one of the things that they do when they, when they play, and Ryan can kind of vouch for this, I think, but when they come up on the platform and they play, a lot of times they'll kick off their shoes and, and they'll play. And I think that there's a perspective within that and an understanding within that that's just a lot more comfortable to do that. But, you know, part of what I see when they do that is that they understand that they're about to worship a holy God. And part of the way that uh, was taught to us in Old Testament practices was you remove your shoes when you're about to go on the holy ground. That's what Moses did. We're, we're very familiar with that in the Scripture. As Moses was appro approaching the burning bush, he, he took off his shoes to approach holy ground. And now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to start taking off our shoes in the back and coming in here. Some of you would have to shower way more than you shower for us to get away with doing that. It's, it's not the point. Uh, in fact, one of the things that, uh, that Greg and Rebecca and some of us will experience when we go uh, to Southeast Asia on a mission trip at the end of July is that we will experience something that uh, the first time I went I had to get totally used to. But every time you enter into a building there, unless it's a commercial public building, but when you enter into the home, even when you enter into the preschool that we'll be working at, you kick off your shoes and do that. <clears throat> the perspective is that your feet are dirty. And the understanding is that your feet are dirty and you would not ever walk dirty shoes into somebody's clean home. Uh, it's pretty amazing, too, the, when we go to worship, before we enter the church, you'll see piles and piles of shoes outside because everybody walks in with their feet uh, clean to worship a holy God. Now, one of the things that Laura and I experienced, and one of the things that was very uh, humbling to me and we, we had to kind of work through was they treated us as guests and as Westerners. So the first time we ever walked into the church, there was this big pile of shoes outside, and we were getting ready to walk in, and I did what I had become accustomed to after a few days of being there, but I walked over to the side, and I reached down to kick off my shoes, and they grabbed me, and they said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You're not from here. You can just come in and worship. And I remember grabbing Laura and said, we must do this because we're going in to worship a holy God. And so we took off our shoes and went in to worship. My question to you is, are you preparing not, not your feet, don't misunderstand me, but are you preparing your heart as you come into this building every Sunday morning? Are you preparing your heart to worship a holy God? Most of you have already begun to understand that I love to fly and that I 
became a pilot when I was in college, and although I don't maintain my pilot's license now, it's still a, a real joy to me. But I, I love one of the things that there is about flying that applies here so perfectly. Because before you ever get into a plane to go fly, you can ask any pilot, uh, before you ever get into a plane to go fly, fly it, one of the things you do is called a pre-flight check. And that means that you're going to walk around. You never do this in your car. You just jump in your car and go drive. But in a plane, you get in and you begin to walk around the plane and you begin to check uh, the flaps on the wings and, and uh, the ailerons and, and the tail and you begin to make sure all the bolts are tight and that there's play within it and that everything moves and so you're walking all around the plane. Then you come to the engine and small planes have this little cover that you can pop up and you can check the oil to make sure the oil's up to the level it needs to be into. You do all those things before you ever go sit in the plane and start it up and go fly it. You know why you do that? Because you don't want to be 5,000 feet in the air and the plane falls apart or the engine quits running. It's, it's too dangerous. Well, the same is true for you and I when we come in here to worship. You want to go through a pre-worship routine. Um, you know, I mean, think about what most of our pre-worship routines are. Okay. Let's stop by the donut place real quick. Put the clothes on them real, real quick. Somebody throw that kid in the shower and get that kid out of the shower. We got to get there. We got to get to church. And everybody's screaming at everybody until you pull into the parking lot and you get out of the parking lot and you see Pastor Bobby and you go, hey, Pastor Bobby, we're glad to worship with you today. Shut up. And, you know, do that kind of stuff. I get that. I mean, I get that. I, I completely understand that. That's our normal pre-worship routine. But we've got to learn as we come to prepare our hearts for worship and prepare our families for worship. You know, one of the things that Laura started from the minute uh, before I even became your pastor, even when we were driving out here in view of a call and everything, but when we, we come up from Nacogdoches, we come up Appleby Sand, and we hit the light there right by Tom's, the stop sign. And we take that right. And when we take that right, do you know what Laura starts doing immediately? She starts praying out loud in our car. And she starts praying for all of you who will be here to worship. And she starts praying for me, just like Ryan does, that God would give me the words and the wisdom to be able to speak them. And she begins to pray for things that are coming up in the life of our church, like Vacation Bible School and all those things. She begins to prepare her heart and my heart and Joshua's heart for worship. That's what we all must do. We must, according to Scripture, guard our steps when we go to the house of God. Do you walk in here anticipating God's presence, looking forward to hearing his voice? Do you come here to hear from him? That, that's the question you need to ask yourself. That's the question I have to ask myself. Do you expect that God will stir your souls and, and change your heart? I mean, when you go to the Garrison football game, you're wanting Garrison to win. You're wanting Garrison to look good on the field. You're wanting them to kill the other team. But do you walk in here just kind of like, oh, well, it's another Sunday. 
You know, are we, who knows if God's going to be here or not? Who cares? If I can just survive an hour and a half, we'll be good. That's not what God wants from you. It's not what God wants from me. He wants us to expect that when we walk into this place that he will stir our hearts, that he will stir our minds, that he will change us, that we will walk out different than we walked in. That's the God that you come to meet. The question is, do we pray for that? Do we ask that? Do we believe that it will happen? Second thing is this. Listen to what it says in in verse 1. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. So the question has to be, not only are we ready to meet him, but are we ready to listen to God? Do you come in with your ears open and your mouth shut? I read this about a husband and wife the other day. This cracked me up. It said he and his wife had words, but he never got to use his. That's, I, I wonder that about God sometimes. I wonder if God and us have words, but we never let God use his words. We just always talk to him and say, God, I need this. God, this is falling apart in my life. God, this is my struggle. God, this is where you know, I need help. But do we ever let God say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Can I share with you what's going on? You know the hardest part about praying to God is being quiet. It's the absolute hardest part about praying to God. Because when we pray to God, we think we need to always talk, always be saying something, always asking for something, or always begging for something, always doing this or always doing this. But we think our mouth has got to be moving. But you know, some of the greatest prayer warriors that you'll ever meet in your life will just sit and listen and wait for God to speak to them. Not only must you be ready to meet him, and not only must you be ready to listen to God, but you've got to be humble before God. Look what it says here, because you, you've probably got the wrong picture here. It says in verse 2, Do not be quick with your mouth, and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. So that's God saying, can you be quiet for just a second and let me talk to you? But listen to what he says right after that. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's not a statement about distance. That's not, that's not God saying, uh, I'm a million miles away and you're there on earth. So it's really hard to communicate with me. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, I'm God and you're not. So could you close your mouth for a minute and let me talk to you? Let me tell you what's going on. I don't know what kind of discipline you had in your house, but when my mom and I would get into it, I would always catch myself. We would be in some kind of an argument, and I would always catch myself, and all of a sudden I would realize I was the only one talking, and she wasn't talking anymore. And when we would do that, I would, I would start going back and forth with her. I'd say, come on, you got to let me do this. You know, usually something that I thought I deserved to do, and she was trying to not let me do it or knew it was best for me not to do it. And so we would be going back and forth, and I'd be saying something like, you got to let me do it. And she would say, no, I don't think that's really good for you. And then I'd go, come on, and I'd start giving reasons. And I'd go a million miles an hour giving reasons. And then all of a sudden, I'd realize that my mom wasn't saying a word anymore and hadn't said a word in about two or three minutes. And then I would stop. 
And she would always just look at me, and there would be dead silence for about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And after about 30 seconds, it seemed like an eternity, but after about 30 seconds, she would say, are you ready to listen? And I would just, I mean, I would just melt. And I would go, I'm ready. And she would say, the reason I don't want you to do this is because I love you. And I know what's best for you. And at this time in your life, you don't need to be doing that. It goes without saying that I had a pretty godly mom. This is the same perspective that's being given here. God's not trying to say, I'm a million miles away from you. God's trying to say, I am God. I breathe breath into your lungs. And if you will keep your mouth quiet, if you will humble yourselves before me, and you will listen to me, then I will tell you what I want you to know and what I think is best for you and how you can best serve me. I, I love what many of you came up to me after the, the very first Sunday I preached here. And if, you, if you have a, a good enough memory, my, I struggle with memories from that far away, but I, I can remember that one of the first things I told you is that before we jump into anything, before we change anything or do anything, that we're going to spend some time just listening to God and waiting for God to tell us where does Holly Springs need to go. And we're just about to a place where we're going to start on Wednesday nights doing what I'm calling, it's a Disney term, but it's called visioneering. We're going to, we're going to take some visions that I want you to have and I want myself to have, but I certainly don't want us even to attempt unless it's from God. But we're going to begin to vision where does God want to take Holly Springs. But the only way we can do that is if we're humble enough before God to keep our mouths closed and to listen to what he's saying to us. Fourth thing is this. Do you mean what you say when you worship God? It couldn't be any more clear than what it says in verse 4 or 5. When you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. And then he says it's better not to make that vow than to make a vow and fulfill it. Do you know that every Sunday when you come to worship, you're, you're basically making a vow to God? You know, it's my breath in your lungs, so I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. But on Monday, if you walk into your job and you treat people like dirt, You've broken your vow. On Tuesday, if you click on your computer and you decide to look at something that's not where your eyes are supposed to be, then you've broken your vow. Because you stood here on Sunday along with me and you proclaimed to a holy God that it was his breath in your lungs and that you were here to worship him. Trust me, I know what I'm saying is hard. I, I know that, that what I'm saying cuts to the core. I get that. I, I, I completely get it because I have to go look at this face in the mirror 
on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and know that I struggle just like you struggle to worship a holy God and to treat him like he deserves. But there's always two options when I stand in this pulpit. The one option is just to make everybody feel good about themselves and to walk you out of here every Sunday afternoon where you kind of feel good about yourselves. Or the other option is for me to speak truth. And truth is always going to cut to the core. But if truth makes us better, if truth makes us healthier, if truth makes us more holy before a holy God, I go for truth. Look, we, we, we say vows every Sunday morning before God. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do I mean what I say? You know, Jesus was talking to somebody who wanted to follow him in Luke, the ninth chapter. And uh, the person who wanted to follow him said, well, I really want to follow you, but my father just passed away. So here's what I need to work out a deal with you. The deal is this. Let me first go bury my father and take care of my family. And in a few months, I'll join you and I'll follow you. And Jesus said to that man, let the dead bury their dead. Jesus wasn't being mean to somebody who had lost a father. He wasn't being ugly. He wasn't non-caring. What he was teaching was a lesson that you and I always need to hear, which is following after Christ means that we will sacrifice. Following after Christ means we have to forsake everything. Following after Christ means that our words need to be our truth, need to be our vow, and we need to, we need to show it in our actions. So the last thing is this. You have to get ready to meet God. You have to get ready to listen to God. You have to be humble before God. You have to mean what you say when you worship God. And the last thing that Solomon teaches us is a question. And the question is very simple. It's, it's very there in verse 7. It says, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. And the question here basically is, do you take God seriously? Do you take God seriously? I, I wrote this down in my notes. I said, do we practice casual worship? <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing I am. Well, of course we do. We practice casual worship. The preacher's wearing blue jeans. Come on. This is casual worship. No. It's not casual worship. In fact, you don't want to be a part of a church that worships casually. I don't want to be a part of a church that worships casually. We have to take God in all seriousness. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with the way we dress. The, the way we dress does not define how we worship. Um, what defines how we worship is right here. What, what our hearts are and, and what our hearts believe about worship. You know, the scripture is, is, is pretty clear and I can, I can beat this horse to death. But the scripture is pretty clear that when people come in that aren't dressed well, that we're to honor them and love them because worship has nothing to do 
with the way we're dressed. The, the scripture's pretty clear that there's no perfect style of music to worship God. You know, you can go to a church that only sings hymns and they can worship God in spirit and truth. And you can go to a church that's much like ours and we can worship God in spirit and truth. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with what's here inside you and inside me. And the truth is, when you peel back the layers of what's in here, you will find out if people take God seriously. That's why it's really important to me, the direction that this church heads, where we go. Because I believe when we worship an almighty God who loves us, that he will take us in the direction that he wants us to go. And it should be very clear to us where he wants us to go. There's people that are lost and dying that need to know Jesus. There are children that will sit in this worship center tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday that need to know Jesus. Ryan put it so well in his prayer request to us that there are children who will probably never ever hear about Jesus again for the rest of the year except for the four nights that they may sit in these chairs. I've been promoting Vacation Bible School because it, it means a lot to me. I, and one of the reasons it means a lot to me is the reason I've been promoting it and it's kind of the, the, the catchphrase that I've been putting on every time I promote it, which is a, a hashtag I put on BBS's home missions. And it really is. You know, I trust me, I could not be more excited to lead you all around the world. And I, I see that as part of my calling on my life is to help this church become visionaries all over the world. And anytime somebody comes in, like a couple of weeks ago when Melody came in or when we talk about Jamaica or when we talk about Ecuador or when we talk about Southeast Asia, and all the other places, I had somebody come to me the other day and ask me a question about a place, and I went, well, tell me about it. I, I had uh, Mike Hammer grab me this morning, and he said, I, I just got back from Antigua. And he said, he said Th those people are, I think, something's stirring down there. I think God's doing something down there. And he said, do you know anything about what's going on down there? And I said, no, I don't, but I'd love to find out. Because I think our church is being prepared to take the gospel all around the world. But folks, if we can't get the gospel right right here, we don't have any business taking it all around the world. So that means that at the end of the summer, we'll participate, and you'll be hearing this from me from the pulpit, in putting shoes on some children that are part of Glory Gang. Because it's hometown missions, and there's kids here who need to have their feet washed and need to hear that Jesus loves them. And we'll do missions today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday because there's people here that need to know Jesus and need to know that Jesus loves them. Listen, the great preacher Henry Ward Beecher, he was gone one Sunday. I don't know if you've heard that name, but incredibly famous preacher from years ago. And there was a guest pastor that came to take his place in the pulpit. 
And the story is that the guest pastor walked up on the stage and stood in the pulpit. And when people in the congregation saw that it wasn't Henry Ward Beecher, they stood up and started to walk out. And thankfully, that preacher called him out. And this is what he said. All who came to hear Henry Ward Beecher this morning, you can leave. Please leave. But all who came to hear from God Almighty, please keep your seat. And because the Lord has called me to take you around the world, there's going to be people that will preach in this spot. Because Ryan has got a family and loves his family and has different things that are going on, he won't lead us in worship all the time. Your Sunday school teacher is going to be out sometime. Your connect group leader is going to be gone. Some Wednesday nights I've got people standing in the pulpit for me because I want them to. And if that disappoints you, you are coming for the wrong reason. You've got to be careful. We all have to be careful about following people. Listen, and you're, you're going to... You're not going to get mad that I say this, but I, I want you to listen to me and I want you to hear my heart. Uh, I've had the privilege of meeting Beth Moore. Um, she was best friends with uh, Laura's youth minister when Laura was growing up. Beth, he managed Beth Moore. Steve Seeley did. Uh, he passed away just a few weeks ago and we went to the service and Beth Moore was one of the speakers. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of, of meeting uh, in my 34 years, I've had the privilege of meeting some incredible uh, people. Tony Evans, Louis Giglio. Uh, we could sit here and name name after name. I could name drop with you all day long, and you would begin to be pretty impressed that your little pastor knows some pretty famous people. But the truth is, those famous people don't hold a candle to the famous God that I worship and there are some good communicators in this world but if you're hung up on the communicator and not the God they serve then you're hung up on the wrong person I love you I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my being I love this church and I love the people here Laura and I still shake ourselves we still hold each other in bed at night and say, how could God have been so good to us? But the God that was good to us is the God that I worship. I don't worship this church, and I don't worship the people that are in it. I worship the God that you serve, and I worship the God that I serve. And that's the God that will change us forever. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to speak to your people. And what an honor it is to carry the message. But God, we ask that you would open our ears and open our hearts to teach us from your word. Especially your servant Solomon, who taught us the importance of worshiping. 
Father, may we always prepare ourselves to worship when we enter this building. May we stand before you in spirit and truth. May we make vows before you that we keep. Father, may we be humble before you. God, as we enter into this time of invitation, Father, would you take control? Would you be the God that we worship? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.